Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this edition of For Your Game. And Bryson DeChambeau, the new U.S. Open champion. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to check in with the man who knows everything about the mental side of the game and has worked with many champions. He creates winners. The one, the only mental game guru, Dr. Bob Winters. Hi, Dr. Bob. Hi, Holly G. Great to be on the show. So, so much, so much to uh, di dissect from the U.S. Open, especially in terms of uh, what we saw on Sunday, which at some point uh, came down to almost match play. Uh, you know, there's so much pressure, uh, so much of the, of the mental fortitude that you see on display as you're coming down the back nine on a Sunday of a major championship. What can we take away? What can average players take away uh, from what we saw and what we can learn from U.S. Open Sunday? Well, I think that we have so many tips from the top, from the top players, not only at the U.S. Open, but we also have the LPGA tournament that was going on up in Portland, the Cambia Classic. And when you listen to the winners, you listen to the people who finished in the top five, top ten. You always want to listen to their interviews and their transcripts and see exactly what they said. So one of the things that I want to take from Bryson DeChambeau's wonderful victory at Wingfoot, and before the week started, people say, who do you think is going to win? And I've always said this about major championships at great venues, is that golf you know, is really the first overall winner. But Wingfoot, uh, with all of its great glory and the massacres of Wingfoot it's, and its heralded pass, it is a really big winner as well. And the one thing I think we need to sort of put an asterisk on all of this is that Wingfoot this year, because we play it in September rather than June, there's a couple of different things. The environment, the heat, the humidity. Uh, also, you know, with COVID, you don't have the audience effects. You don't have the, the spectators, the crowd, the trample, you know, the rough. Uh, the growing season, the grass was unbelievably lush. Uh, even, you know, earlier in the week, they thought they might have eight, nine, ten inch uh, rough, and they were actually, you know, mowing that grass, and the grass was pristine. So the golf course itself, Holly, was unbelievably in great shape. And let's not think now, they, they don't get a USGA, they don't get a US Open ready three, four months. They get it four or five years ahead. They start making these preparations. So with the pandemic and not having any people there, Wingfoot, as far as a pristine, uh, what I call very manicured surface, was probably at its you know all-time best. However, having said that, when you don't have spectators lining the fairways that really sort of create sort of this perimeter, this, this physical boundary, um, and also knocking down some of that rough, 
it, it, it makes a, a different playing surface. So there's a lot of things that we can learn uh, from this Open. So let's get you know right down to Bryson DeChambeau. One of the things I think that everyone can take away from Bryson DeChambeau and his caddy, Tim Tucker, when they talk back and forth with each other, they are really going through each shot, situation-specific, one at a time. And I think this is a big difference that the amateurs have from the tour winners because most amateurs are counting all of their shots. They're really focused on the overall score, how it affects their handicap. Are they winning? The true winners, even at you know clubs, club championship winners or low handicap players, they just don't count every shot, but they make every shot count and if you took a look at those last couple of rounds in the u.s open bryson and his caddy would go over meticulously over their notes over the yardages every shot every chip every pitch every drive and a lot of people say well yeah i mean they really sort of slow the game down and yes you know there's a lot of you know, uh, what we call chubba a lot of, you know, negative talk about that, about how they're slowing the game down. But when you realize the value of a shot, and we're really, you know, taught, you know, and through experience empirically, how to play, you know, one shot at a time, they did a really good job with that. The other thing we can learn is, you know, listen, if you can't bomb it like a Bryson DeChambeau or a Matthew Wolf or a Tony Finau, what are some of the areas you need to get good in? Everybody te- keeps talking about Bryson's length, but it wasn't just his length. It was his ability to actually manage his ball from tough situations, get the ball up around the green, and actually work you know, the ball from that rough with his short irons, his wedges, and also his great putting. So he was really sort of a short game wizard, and, and a real putting genius on the greens. And I'm sure you saw the same thing, didn't you, Holly? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think we really saw, you know, they we've continued to talk about Bryson as the scientist with the guy who, you know, as I said, probably does physics formulas to fall asleep at night. And I don't think he sleeps much because, you know, that brain is just constantly going. But we saw the artistry in his game. I mean, it's just you know, undeniable that it's, yes, he's got the power, but uh, then, you know, as we always say, you got a chip and putt for dough. And, you know, that was uh, clearly on display and, you know, very, still difficult. You still got to, you know, pitch it out of that rough and get it close to the hole. Uh, and I think, you know, what I th- was was impressive is, you know, that he shot three under a 67 for a total score of minus six, and he was the only guy, you know, that broke par. You know, absolutely. If you take a look at the overall leaderboard and you look at the red numbers, he had three rounds out of the four in red numbers, okay? And there were only maybe just a handful of players uh, that had two rounds in red numbers, but you know, you take a look at someone like uh, Matthew Wolf, who finished second. I mean, he shot rounds of 66, 74, 65, 
75. I mean, so there was, you know, sort of this flux in there. And the the next, you know, sort of thing I took away was from Matthew Wolf. And one of the things that he said in his interviews, he, he was a little bit disappointed. This is his first initial uh, U.S. Open, and he finished, you know, runner-up. But he said something I thought was very important. He said, patience is is such a virtue out here. You have to be patient. He goes, there were times this week that I have looked back and I got a little bit discouraged, a little bit depressed, and I, I let my head hang down. He goes, I will learn going forward that patience is so, so important in this game, and I'll keep my head high no matter you know how you know I play. And I think that's the one thing. I mean, that is probably the biggest thing, and I've said this for years, being the confidence doctor that I am, and I've talked about this for many decades now, is that patience is confidence waiting to happen, meaning you have to hang in there. You don't beat yourself up. You have to be able to accept the shot, to accept even, you know, a, a bad bounce, a bad break, a, a bad hole, or a, a series of bad holes, You've got to learn, you know, to put it behind you. So patience, acceptance, and actually then renew yourself with this renewed enthusiasm and vigor to get into the next shot. I mean, and you hear this, you know, from players like Matthew Wolf, and every player says, what is one of the most key ingredients to becoming a U.S. Open or a major champion winner? And they will always say patience. And that's the one thing. And I think that amateurs do not have because most amateurs, you know, they want to be patient. And I remember years ago with one of my LPGA players and her parents, and her parents were telling me, you know, she needs patience and we need, you know, to have her be more patient. We are praying to God. You know, that she needs to be more patient. And they said in their prayers to God, <laughs> and they say, please help her become more patient. And we need it right now. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of a funny little thing to say uh, because everyone wants, you know, to have that feeling of being composed and calm. But this is a tough game and it really beats you up. So when I heard Matthew Wolf say that, yes, and you have to be incredibly patient with those tight fairways, the huge rough, and you're going to get a lot of, you know, quirky bounces there. So I think that's uh, that's another thing, you know, to learn, you know, from the U.S. Open. Well, uh, one, other, thing we, yeah. one thing we saw on display also with Bryson um, was Saturday night after his round. Where did he go? He went straight to the driving range. He was the only guy there hitting drive after drive after drive. They had, I don't know if they had floodlights on the range or, you know, uh, it was certainly, it was certainly uh, lighted. Um, but, uh, you know, he knew there was something to work out and um, he hit a lot of balls until he, until he figured it out. And he did the same thing, Holly. Uh, we sometimes say, hey, what has worked for us in the past? And we will now bring that, you know, success formula and bring that into the present moment. He did that, I think, last year or a couple of years ago at Muirfield Village. 
he did that on a Saturday evening. He said, I'm not feeling good. I need to go out. I need to get this adjusted. I can't wait till tomorrow because I won't sleep at all tonight. And that's exactly what he did. So he went out there and he said, I just, it just didn't feel right. And as it goes, I think this is really what uh, amateurs can also learn from it, is that during the round, he was, you know, everything he was working on, you know, the night before, those first two or three tee shots, you know, it felt pretty good. But he said, when I got to the sixth hole and I actually made a swing, something inside my head clicked. I just knew. I just knew that now everything was going to be okay. And that, you know, suggests there that the work that he did that night before really helped. Now, let's... Let's be, let's be very honest here, is that I don't think we're going to have a lot of amateurs go out and put the floodlights on and really hit as many balls as Bryson. But Bryson, again, had said one thing, and as a sports psychologist and performance guy, it, it was quite revealing, is that many times players get wrapped up, almost enveloped in all the excitement, the expectations, the pressure of performing. Bryson DeChambeau has sort of what I call a security blanket. His security blanket is created by his knowledge base, by the science. And he said, whenever I had doubt, whenever I had trepidation, I went back to the science. So his mind, his very cold-blooded, objective mind, sort of disconnected all of the perceptual doubt and said, this is your answer. This is what you do. So when people say he's sort of this crazy scientist, well, the science gives him gives him composure. It gives him confidence because he knows that the facts don't lie. So when he actually says, I know that my speed control, my distance control, he's got all these different monitors that really suggest to him he's doing the right things. Well, we may not have the same access to those type of machines that a Bryson DeChambeau does. But the one thing he's saying here is, I have something that helps me stay focused. And this is really what I believe in. And I think that's really gave him an edge really coming down the stretch. The way he sort of makes decisions, the way he talks with his caddy, and his ability to make a very clear and very specific decision on how he's going to hit the shot, and then he can live with that shot because he knows he's actually put the best formula for success in that one shot. And I think that's really what separates him from everybody else, at least this week for sure. Well, of course, you know, the average player out there doesn't have this team, doesn't have all this, you know, uh, constant flow of information and, you know, breaking down of their game. Uh, you know, so many of these players also talk about, and we've heard it a lot from Rory recently in particular, um, even, you know, DJ, you could say DJ didn't, you know, have his, his best game, but the guy shoots, you know, 73 70 72 70 he was plus five he finished tied for six uh so many high scores at wingfoot um uh, another you know piece of this mentally right is to understand like what the course how the course is playing to par 
I mean, in, in the case of Wingfoot, you know, we, we saw some huge scores. We knew we were going to just based on history and the fact that Overpar has won uh, at Wingfoot in, in the past. And, um, you know, share with my listeners a little bit about that, like, you know, just managing your game against the golf course. Well, I think uh, we go back in history, and I think it was at the Open, and I can't remember if it was Turnberry or where it was, where Tom Watson, in I think the second or third round, shot like a 69, and that was only a couple under par at that time, but Tom Watson said that was probably one of the very best rounds, one of the greatest scoring rounds he'd ever had. And a lot of, you know, the reporters were going, well, you've shot in 62, 63 in other rounds. He goes, no. The way the golf course was playing, the conditions, he goes, par really was really maybe 75, 76 today. So uh, according to the conditions, we always say par. So what is par? Par is the standard score for which an expert player will shoot or should be expected to shoot over those 18 holes. So it is some type of standard criteria measure. But every day, due to the variability of the superintendent's whims, where he sets the, you know, the, the pins, uh, how they have the course set up, the environmental conditions, the wind, the weather, par changes a little bit so i've had you know players over the years come in off of a, a round and they'll be kind of coming into the locker room when i've been with a couple of my other players and they'll say hey how'd they go today he goes well i shot 73 uh, and they go oh that's that's about par you know that's about par today the golf course played you know two or three shots you know tougher than what they anticipated so you have to be able to actually make the very best of the situation and the conditions that you have. So par changes a little bit each day. And let's not forget, for every one of us, whether you are a, a, a high handicapper, mid handicap, low handicap, or player, tour player, what's the objective in golf? It's to get your ball from point A to point B in the most effective, economical manner possible. Because in my book, five is less than six, Four is less than five. We're trying to make the smallest numbers that we possibly can. And let's not forget that the most important number in golf, Holly, is one. It's the one shot you have right now. And if you can actually do the very best you can, each shot one after one after one until you're done, you usually end up winning tournaments. Yeah, I think that's um, such good advice, Dr. Bob, because – you know, amateurs, our minds just start racing ahead, uh, you know, so often and really being able to, um, you know, uh, stay in the moment. I mean, it just, it sounds, you know, so easier said than done. Uh, I think another thing you heard Brightson talking about uh, that got some um, attention is that, you know, he's also got this breathing um you know, practice that he does. And, you know, of course, like everything else Bryson does, even that has, you know, sort of a formula to it. But well, and let's let's talk about that. Let's have, you know, the, the listeners sort of kind of tap into that. Yeah, because that's nothing really new or revolutionary. In fact, we know that people have been doing this sort of what we call 
rhythmic or box breathing for years. We know that marksmen, we know that sharpshooters, archery shooters uh, have been doing that for years. And even the Navy SEALs, we talk about how they have sort of the four box breathing where they sort of take in a breath, you know, for four beats. They actually count, you know, four beats and they sort of, you know, hold it. Then they exhale for four beats and then they do another, you know, inhale for four beats. And it's just a box. It just becomes a rhythm. And what most people don't realize that when you're a marksman, you know, you're shooting, you know, for score or you're an archer, is that there is when you take a breath and when you actually release that breath right at the bottom, the shallow, before you take another inhalation, there is sort of what we call sort of a calm period. That's, you know, the calm period that you want your breathing and your heart rate to actually be in sync with each other. And you can actually make that putting stroke, or that's the time when you actually initiate the action. It's just a very small window. And, you know, people can kind of even uh, experiment with this, uh, you know, at home. Uh, you can sit there and put your hand on your heart and kind of breathe. But you can actually just sort of feel when you, before you actually inhale, there's sort of a nice calm area, and then that's when you actually want to take the putter back and hit it. But that's really what he does. Also, another thing that I saw that a lot of people can do, and it's very subtle, but Bryson DeChambeau has sort of a very specific pre-putt routine, is that he gets over it, and he gets behind it next to the ball, and he takes a couple of rehearsal strokes. And when he makes that second rehearsal stroke, he's actually – closing his eyes and what he's doing now he's shutting off the visual system getting into his tackle his feel system the proprioceptors he's really getting that kinesthetic tactile feeling in his hands back and forth so when he steps into the ball he looks at the ball and he actually you know hits that same feeling and one other thing i could add to that to people can actually start taking notes is what does Bryson do that so many golfers do, both on the PGA and LPGA, Corn Ferry, Symmetra Tour? What does they do before they step into every shot? They make a very specific rehearsal swing. That is, they make this, well, you know, most people call it practice swing. It isn't practice at all. It is a very specific feel for the shot that they want to hit here in the next upcoming couple of seconds. And if you heard Bryson, his, you know, caddy, and if you were really listening, he said, what do you think this is? This is about 1030. And what they're talking about, if you were really facing a clock, you know, that's really where his hands were. They were getting not to 10 o'clock, not to 11 o'clock on the face of the clock, but 1030. That's how specific, that's how dialed in he is. But what, you know, the, the tip from the top that we can take from that is make sure before you step into the ball that you give yourself a really good preset feel how you want to hit that shot. And if you do that, that sort of pre-stretches the muscles. In my world, we call it neural priming. You're actually presetting and really priming the pump of your body from the brain to your body to say, okay, Holly, this is you know the swing that we need to make. So that rehearsal swing you make from behind the ball when you step in is really important, and it works. And, and all you have to do is take a look at everybody who's winning on tour and, and even the best players at your club, 
and you will see they will do that and incorporate that in their routine, and that is a very instrumental part of your routine that everyone needs to start doing. Well, as always, Dr. Bob, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Uh, you have coached so many winners uh, from the high school level, college level, pro level, as well as you know being an excellent player yourself. So we really appreciate you breaking down some of these things. And and I like that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, start having rehearsal swings instead of practice swings. I think that creates a lot more intentionality and uh, terrific, terrific conversation. Dr. Bob, how can my listeners get in touch with you to learn more about the mental side of the game? And uh, I mean, you're, you're an incredible coach as well, uh, you know, have specialized a lot of your career on putting and uh, so much that my listeners could learn from you. They could go right into the website, drbobwinters.com. That's drbobwinters.com. They can also reach me at theconfidencedoctor.com. Or you can find me at ledbetter.com. I've been with David Ledbetter and the Ledbetter Golf Academy World Teaching Headquarters at Champions Gate for many, many years now. So, you know, there's three different places you can reach me at. And uh, I'm always ready to help those who want to get better at their game. And like I've always said, Holly, and I've told you this so many times, the moment you change your mind, you change your game. And it's always great to be with the great Holly G on the Golf Insiders. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob.